wanted to throw that disclaimer out. I know right away that this message has the ability to cause some to be glad, some to be sad when they kind of examine, and some to even be mad because it might step right on your toes. Because the title, as Ken mentioned, is What You Seek, You Find. The question is, what is it that you're seeking? And I dare to say this, some even sitting here today are not seeking the things of the Lord. They're seeking their own way of getting out of problems and handling problems. And so, this is going to go right into the face of that to a certain degree. So, just be warned. Don't shoot the messenger. Or sick the dogs after him. He's had that before too. As we've been looking at the seven spiritual laws, we've, we've looked at the first three, but these first three are a foundation, a theological foundation of where we're going to go. We looked at He's God and we're not. We have to settle that, don't we? He's God and we're not. And that means God has the permission, not even the permission, He has the authority to do whatever He wants when He wants to do it. And He does not have to consult us. We don't like that part. Two, God, God doesn't need us, but we desperately need Him. That really gets to our pride, doesn't it? When we realize that we are debtors to His grace. God doesn't need us. There's nothing that you and I can bring to God that will make Him more God. He is God. He doesn't need us to, to add to Him. And you know what? When we withhold our worship, that doesn't detract from Him either. It detracts from our fellowship with Him and the blessings that He wants to give us. We desperately need Him. Last week we looked at what God demands He supplies. Because, listen, God demands righteousness and holiness and He demands a, a, a payment for sin. None of us could supply that. And guess what? He supplied it through this, His own Son. That if we trust in Him, not only do we have the forgiveness of sins, but we have the ability to be righteous because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we have a right to be holy. We have the ability to be holy because what Christ has done on our part. Amen? What a great truth. Today we're looking at that fourth uh, law, what you seek you find. And this is a turning point in, in, in this series because it's talking about practical Christian living. These five simple words, what you seek, you find, challenge us at the level of personal, uh, personal motivation. And all throughout the Bible, I mean, I'm just going to name a couple of them, but throughout the Bible there's many verses that talk with and deal with the subject of seeking and finding. I'm just going to read a couple real quickly if you want, uh, uh, and you want a copy of this. These are just the verses I typed out. If you want them, uh, I'll give them to you. Uh, it's First Chronicles 28.9. And it says, As for you, my son uh, Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you out forever. Then Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Jeremiah 29.13 And you will seek Me and find Me when you search 
for me with all your heart. Matthew 6.33 that we just read. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. And I like this one here especially. as Hebrews 11.6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You see what I'm talking about? Constantly throughout the Scriptures, seeking and finding. God desires that we seek Him. And if we do seek Him, you can find Him. This whole concept really touches on our motivations, our priorities, how we spend our time, the goals we set for our lives, our spiritual life or the lack thereof. It all goes right in in correlation with one another. Well, let me make a few simple statements based upon these verses. Everyone, now get this, I'm not saying the word all, but everyone, okay? It means the same thing. Everyone seeks something. Everyone seeks something. The tragedy of our time, just like the times of, of all mankind, Most of the time, many people spend so much time and wasted energy seeking after the wrong things that can never truly satisfy. They seek after three things primarily. They seek after money, sex, and power. They think if they have these things that they will find satisfaction and happiness. And those things can never guarantee you happiness. They might meet a temporal need, but they will not bring lasting satisfaction. Now what's today? What's going to happen later on today? Yes, Rachel is going to give her report tonight. So you're all going to come out tonight, right? Because what else is happening today? Nothing. I'm like, oh boy, (laughs) I married up. (laughs) Right, the Super Bowl. Well, I thought here is a wonderful, wonderful quote from a man from a team I loved dearly growing up and that was who I wrote, uh, rooted for, a man named Dwayne Thomas who used to play for the Dallas Cowboys during the 70s. I know I grew up in New England, but I've always been a Cowboys fan. Go figure. But Dwayne Thomas, you know, as he played college ball and got, got into the NFL, the sports writers used to say to him all the time, Dwayne, the greatest game, the ultimate game is the Super Bowl. So then Dwayne asked the question, naturally, if the Super Bowl is the ultimate game, why do they play it again next year? I mean, if it's the ultimate game, you should only play it once. But you play it every year. That shows us so much about life. Our priority, our goal is what? Every team in the NFL, their goal is to get where? To the Super Bowl. And guess what? Right after the Super Bowl, you've got to start practicing and training for the next year's Super Bowl. When you get that promotion, you think you finally arrived, guess what? You've got to keep practicing and training for the next one. When you finish that assignment, guess what? Another one's coming. When you've had whatever, guess what? It constantly goes. We never fully arrive. And that's why we, when we find certain things to fill our lives, thinking, oh, this will bring satisfaction, we fall short because after you had it for a little while, it's, uh, it's not as joyful, not as fun as we thought it would be. 
and we're disenchanted. The only thing that truly will bring lasting satisfaction is a relationship with Christ. Also, according to these verses, there's a test that will truly determine what you seek in life. It's a foolproof test. It's an easy test. Tell me how you spend your time and your money and I will tell you what you're seeking for. How you spend your time and how you spend your money, I'll tell you what you're seeking after. It's a very clear indication. They go right along. Because where your heart is, there's your treasure. Where your treasure is, there's your heart is. Right? Whatever you're investing in is going to reveal what you're seeking after. Am I truly seeking after a relationship with Christ or am I seeking after the temporal things of this world to bring me comfort and ease? It's, it's very telling. So much so, there was a man who, who wrote a little story and he said that he was an older man and he came to, you know, getting on in life and and he stopped and pondered his life and he says it, he summed up his life and he said my life is like the professor on Gilligan's Island some of you remember that see I, I in fact actually I was telling Corey and Erica if they have a boy they need to name him Gilligan your last name is Isles Gilligan's Isles and, you know, and then, then Corey can call him little buddy you know but I mean <laughs> that didn't happen but anyways think about this the professor he could take banana peels and make diesel fuel, right? He could take coconuts and make two-way radios and batteries that... They always have batteries for that radio on the... How? But you know what? In all these wonderful things that the professor could do, he never figured out or tried to fix the hole in the boat to get off the island. And that's what this man said. He said, I learned how to do all these marvelous things that don't matter. Because there's still a hole in my boat and I am stuck where I am in life because of the choices I have made. I chose to ignore the hole in my boat. Some of you are stuck where you are because you've chosen to ignore the hole in the boat and you focus on all these other things. That's how it is. Plain and simple. I told you some are going to be mad. But that's truth. Whatever righteous thing you seek in the spiritual realm, you can have it. That's the third statement. Whatever thing you seek in the spiritual realm, righteous thing you seek, you can have it if you want it bad enough. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Did you hear it? Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's an emphatic statement. If you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you will be filled. Let me ask you, don't raise your hands between you and God. Because God already, you know, Ken mentioned it already. God already knows the heart. Are we, did we come, and I guess Carl was mentioning this in Sunday school, we don't come to church to worship. No, except for corporately. We should come to church already worshiping. 
There should be the gathering of the saints corporately to worship together. If you come only on Sunday mornings to worship, you've missed six other days. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. But let me ask you, in your heart of hearts, do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst after the things of God that I'll be transformed more into the image of God day in and day out? All those things that you struggle with, are you seeking the Lord to have victory over those things or are you just going along to get along? If you want righteousness, you can have it. Most of us are about as close to God now as we want to be. We are the way we are because that's the way we want to be. Either... We're happy the way we are or we've just accept, accepted that this is the way it is and I'm not going to change. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. Are we calling God a liar? Saying, no, that's, that's not true with my life. I have been seeking God diligently, but nothing's changed. Really? I beg to differ because God is not a liar. If you want to have a closer walk with God, a better attitude in life, a healthier relationships, a better witness for Christ, the list goes on, you can have it because what we seek, we find. Most of us have just believed a lie or we've put ourselves into a category of different excuses. And I want to list three excuses that I think if we haven't well, put it this way, I think we've all said it and all been there. You might not be there right now today, but if we're not careful, we'll be there again. But these are excuses that hinder our closeness to God and hinder our thirsting and hungering after righteousness. The first excuse is that of self-pity. Self-pity is extremely, extremely popular and extremely dangerous. It's seductive. It's a seductive lie that allows us to escape the personal responsibilities by deflecting attention away from the real problem. That's all it does. I think the classic biblical example, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to summarize it, is, is Jonah. Jonah is the classic biblical example of self-pity. He could care less. It didn't matter to him in the least that the Lord saved a whole nation. What happened? When, he did, when God did that, he went and had a pity party for himself, didn't he? And he started complaining. He could only think of himself and then in the process he revealed his total lack of love and his total absorption in himself. When you stop and you hear people having a pity party, again, we've all been there, haven't we? Some of us still have the hats on and some of us have it in the closet because we'll break it out again soon. But, you know, I mean, we have the pity party and when we think about it, who's the, who's the object of the pity party? You know, we have a wonderful time with me, myself, and I. You know, and, and what is it? It's what I don't have or what I should have or it's all about me and what I think I deserve, etc. Did the Lord deserve death on the cross? Absolutely not but he was willing to go. His eyes were not on himself. His eyes were on the Father. Not my will, but thy will. He was honest. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass before me. 
I don't want to go there, but if I have to, I will. And he did. Willingly. Self-pity is the enemy of spiritual growth. And as long as we mope around feeling sorry for ourselves, we can't get any better. Because again, our eyes are on ourselves. Second excuse that keeps us from changing is the I'm trying excuse. Now we've all said it. And sometimes we're really sincere about that, that we truly are trying. But many times, if we're not careful, all we have to say is, I'm trying. And that excuses us from not doing what we're supposed to be doing. How many times, honestly, if you think back in your life, how many times have you just said, well, I'm trying? No, you're not. You're not trying at all. But what do you say to somebody, well, I'm trying... Oh, okay, well, they're trying. We'll give them some time. In fact, you could even get credit for doing something that you've never done just by saying, I'm trying. It happens in life. In the end, we deceive ourselves to think that we've changed when nothing has changed. When we keep telling God, I'm trying to get closer to you, God knows. What are you doing to get closer to God? Well, I'm trying. What are you trying? And are you trying in the flesh or are you leaning upon the Spirit's leading and enablement in your life? Because, the, again, the Word of God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if God desires a closer walk with you, guess what? You can have a closer walk with Him. He will enable it. You know, the past year or two when we've had the AA groups in and I've got to know some of these guys and gals and talk with them, They have a saying about this. Trying is lying. Trying is lying. Are you sober today? I'm trying. No, you're not. If you want to be sober, you can be sober. Don't drink. So trying is lying to yourself and lying to anybody who will listen. Sometimes we say the same thing in the spiritual life. Well, I'm trying. No, we're not. Because guess what? When I say to you or you say to me, I'm trying, there's no way for us to really judge that to a certain degree, is there? Because we don't follow each other around 24-7. But guess what? There is somebody who does follow you 24-7. Is the Lord. Are we lying to the Lord? Or are we truly trying to grow in Him? The real answer to the I'm trying excuse is to admit that I'm powerless to change myself. But God can if we seek Him. And the third excuse to keep us standing still in our spiritual growth is simply saying, I'll never change. I can't change. I don't want to change. And until we have that desire to change, we're doomed to stay exactly where we are right now. We've got to get off the roller coaster. Sort of like George Jetson, right? Jane, how do you stop this crazy thing? Right? So many of us are on the destructive treadmill of life that we're just running and running and spending all our energy and we're going absolutely nowhere. And God is saying, I can get you off that if you seek me and I will get you somewhere. I'll take you where you need to go. But you need to do it my way, not your own way. You need to seek me. You have to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You have to follow me. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. I, I love this portion of Scripture. I've, I've shared it many times. It's just so practical. 
It's a portion that I think we, we need to look at every now and then in our Christian lives because it's just so telling and so revealing. If we answer the question honestly, before Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5 healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, he asked him a very pointed question. In reality, when you first read this, starting in verse 1 down, and you hear about this man who's been had an infirmity for 38 years, for 38 years his friends or somebody was taking him from his house out to the pool of Bethesda every single day. Think about that. Every day. Why? Because... Because the story goes that when you would see the stirring of the Spirit of God in the pool of Bethesda, the first person to get into the water would be healed. So for 38 years, day in and day out, friends would pick him up, take him there, let him down, and then go at the end of the day, pick him up, bring him out, lay him down. Because not only was it the pool of Bethesda for healing, but it was a place where many people with different infirmities and problems of life and handicaps would go and beg for alms. And a beggar in this time was not somebody to look down on. It was actually a, a worthy profession of asking for alms for the poor. 38 years this has been going on. And Jesus asks what some might think is a stupid question. Do you really want to be made well? And the man said, Duh! I've been coming here every day, 365 days a year, for 38 years. Of course I want to be made well. You know, my thought when I'm reading into this, and again, this is me, so this is not biblical, this is just me, okay? Is if you were really that intent on being made well, and you've been there for a little bit, and you see how this works... I would say to my friends who dragged me there every day, put me on the step closest to the water because when I saw that stirring, I'm just leaning over and I'm in. Right? But no, he doesn't do that. 38 years of coming in, day in and day out, just being close enough to say, I'm trying. But he's not in. He's not in. So now, look at the answer that he gives Jesus. When Jesus asked that question in verse 6, the sick man answered him, and Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Basically, what this guy does not actually give Jesus an answer. What he gives Jesus is an excuse. And basically, he gives him all three excuses. Uh, there's self-pity, I'm trying, I can't change, I can't do it by myself. And so what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And otherwise, what did Jesus do in here? <laughs> he took away the excuses. There's no more excuse. Jesus provided for this man what he needed and he could get nowhere else but from God Himself. What, God, what you seek, you find. We desperately need Him. The whole nine yards. Take up your bed 
and walk. Jesus didn't, oh, you poor man. Now again, I'm reading a little into this, so I could be all wrong, but I don't think so to a certain degree. Because I think that's where most of us live. We get close enough, well, I'm trying. Well, nobody cares about me. And the list goes on. We have this pity party. I can't change. Look, I've been coming here for 38 years. Nothing changed. You know, again, the definition of an insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Okay, you're no closer. You're a man of infirmity. That is obviously you can't get there. So you need something to put you right there. But you never did that. Well, I've been trying this and nothing seems to work. Well, try something different. Have you sought the Lord and what He would have you to do? Jesus says, rise, take up your bed and walk. He took away the excuses. But only faith in what God can do can provide us that healing. Take up your bed and walk. And look, and immediately the man was made well and he took up his bed and walked. Let's bring this to a conclusion because I'm already over. I'm sorry for that. You guys are okay with this, right? Amen. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Because I want to tell you, folks, this isn't the end of the story. I didn't come here just to say, you know, shame on you and on your excuses, okay? Because guess what? I have excuses too. You know what I say about excuses? Some of you heard me say it. Excuses are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple and they usually stink. You know? I mean, all right? But in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, I want to talk about some, from this point forward here, what we just talked about, there's some steps towards victory in your Christian life, in your spiritual growth. Paul writes, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You want to have victory in your Christian life? You want to have victory in the circumstances of life? If you want to have a change of life, if you are seeking something better from God, he's saying then walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. The Greek word for walk is a very ordinary word. It means to walk from one place to another. It's in the present tense, which means keep on walking. Walking implies a steady progress in one direction by the means of deliberate choices over a long period of time. Do you get that? Did you hear what I said? It's a steady progress in one direction by the means of deliberate choices. I choose, as we, we Dorothy even mentioned uh, uh, Thursday night uh, at Premium, to get out of bed. I choose to get out of bed. There's the first step. I choose to go and take a shower. People will appreciate that. I choose to get dressed. I choose to go to work. I choose to be friendly. I choose. It's deliberate choices that we make. I choose to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And I'm not going to stop. I choose. I'm not going to let the circumstances of life tell me that otherwise, dictate otherwise. God is greater than the circumstances of life. What has overcome the world? Faith has overcome the world. That's what he says. Walk in the Spirit. 
We need to walk. Listen, I understand as a former letter carrier that walking sometimes can be boring. And it can be treacherous. You know, we even had these things uh, called ice stabilizers that you'd have to put on your shoes that got the little, basically, sheet metal screws so you don't slip. You know? I, I know there's, there's puddles, there's ice, there's snow, there's mud, there's dogs. You know, I've, I've been down that road. I know that sometimes walking can be boring. I remember telling my dad one time, I said, do you ever notice you don't see pigeons in trees? It's like, what? I said, think about it. Where do you see pigeons? On top of roofs? On power lines? Everything else but in trees. And he looked at me and said, you've got too much time on your hands. <laughs> I said, well, look at what you're walking. Okay? Yes, I walked the streets for a living. Okay? I walked it for 13 years. I know how many steps it was to each house. How many steps there are to each, you know, I knew which steps to avoid. I knew which ones had bees living underneath. I knew there was one house that had birds, uh, mockingbirds, that I had to watch out because they had a nest by, you know, you'd try to walk up and they'd dive bomb you. I had all that. I knew which ones had the dogs and look for them. I knew all of that. And so what do you do? You get bored. And you start looking around at everything else. And guess what? We do the same thing in the Christian life if we're not careful. We let the Christian life become ho-hum. And we lose the wonder of it all. And we start looking at everything else to give us satisfaction. Sometimes walking is boring. Okay? Even in the Christian life. But you know what? Even as a letter carrier, if I wanted to get to the end of my route, I had to walk there. I had to get there. Walk one step in front of the other. And if we want to, as Jesus said to the disciples when he put them in the boat, he says, go to the other side. If we want to get to the other side, guess what? We've got to walk in our Christian life. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. There is the, there is the catch there. It has to be walking in the Spirit. In other words, what this means is conveying an idea that allowing the Holy Spirit to be the guide of every part of your daily life. I choose to allow the Holy Spirit. He will be the light unto my path, the light unto my way, right? I choose to allow the Spirit of God to be my guide. I choose to walk in the direction that He sets for my life. I choose to obey the Word of God and the will of God. I choose to do this. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey today, you can make it if you'll walk in the Spirit. And I guarantee it, not because of me, but because of our God is faithful. Amen? So where are you today? What road are you on? Have you got so bored with the Christian walk that you've actually just sat down for a while? Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? That's it, I've had enough. Because not only you know, is, can it be boring, it can be dangerous. It can be downright disturbing at times. Frustrating. The list goes on. Use whatever adjective you want. But we have to make a choice. If we want to, it's up to us. Even today, starting today, we can either choose to walk in the Spirit and grow closer to God, or we can walk in the other direction and grow distant from God. There's no other alternative. What you do with this message is up to you. You can either use this to encourage you to say, you know what, yeah, I have been making excuses. 
I have been blaming everything else. Life is busy. Life is hectic. How many people here would say life is busy and hectic? Okay, good. So I'm not alone, right? How many of you are truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Don't raise your hand. Guess what? Everybody is busy and hectic. But the choice is, are we going to follow our Lord? Or are we going to just make the excuse, well, life is busy and hectic. We can all do that. Then what do you do when you stand before the Lord? Well, Lord, you know, I, I would have done that, but life was busy and hectic. <laughs> there you go. And he's still going to say, yeah, but if you really love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do my will. Right? That's it. Listen. What you seek, you find. If you're seeking after God, He will be found. I just listed a whole bunch of verses at the beginning. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, He says He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after Him. Do you want to understand the blessings of God? Do you want to experience that peace and the joy that only comes from God? Diligently seek Him. Diligently walk after Him. Walk in the Spirit. Because the alternative is, we're going to grow further from God, more discouraged in life, and we're going to start the excuses and the blame game and the list goes on. God knows better. God knows the heart. God knows what you need. Walking in the Spirit, again, is not some mystical experience reserved for a certain few people. It's available to all who will hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let's pray.